This morning, we're going to continue on our study through the book of Titus, Paul's letter to Titus. So if you have your Bibles, would you please open up to Titus chapter 1. This is part two in our brand new series entitled The Power of Commitment. And so if you're just joining us for the first time this morning, you are not too far behind. We have only had one study through the book of Titus, so it's very easy for you to go back either to the website or where you love listening to podcasts and get caught up on our previous study through the book of Titus. Last week, we saw four things that Paul really encouraged and reminded Titus of, things that we need to be reminded of as well, that the follower of Jesus, first and foremost, is a person of faith and is a committed person. Secondly, the follower of Jesus is committed to the truth. Thirdly, the follower of Jesus is committed to godliness. And fourthly, the follower of Jesus is committed to hoping in the Lord. And what an important reminder it is for us to be exactly like that, to have our hope in the Lord, to be committed to what God has committed to us. And the Lord has blessed us so abundantly and has given us so much responsibility and things that we have to steward and to use for his glory that we would be reminded that we have been blessed and that we should renew our commitment to being committed to what God has given to us. With Titus, he was responsible for taking care of some pretty serious problems in his community and in the churches on the island of Crete. Now, for some of us, we are problem solvers. For some of us, we're the people that get called when there are major problems, and that's what we deal with on a regular basis. For others, we don't really care to deal with big problems. We'd rather have somebody else handle those. We'd rather have the other guy take care of that uh, unpleasant conversation or to make that uncomfortable phone call. But Titus was actually tasked with being a leader, and leaders deal with problems. His counterpart, Timothy, as we just finished studying the two letters of Paul to Timothy, Titus' counterpart, Timothy, was tasked with the same responsibilities, but in the city of Ephesus. And he was ministering at the same time as Titus. Now, have you ever noticed, and I find this very interesting, it's very interesting how people with different personalities need the same faith, need the same truth, need the same commitment to godliness, and need to have the same hope in the Lord. And although those things may play themselves out differently, every follower of Jesus needs the same things. You might wonder, well, how does that exactly play itself out? Well, listen to this. If you remember, Timothy was timid. Titus was not. Timothy dealt with physical ailments, and it would appear from the scriptures that Titus seemed to be a, a, a fine specimen of physical health. If you place these guys side by side, if you took Timothy and you put him here and you put Titus right next to him, you might think that one needed more help than the other. Or by looking at them, you might think that one of these guys needs more encouragement than the other. But that's actually not true at all. 
See, for us today, and might I even put it on the personal level, for you today, you might look at someone that has certain abilities or carries themselves a certain way, and you might assume that they have absolutely no problems whatsoever. You might even think to yourself that they are, man, that's, that guy, he's the man. I don't know how you know, he does what he does or how she does what she does. And you might think that they have it all together. And it doesn't even enter your mind that it would be even possible for them to have a difficult time or to be struggling. See, in the church, and even we'll just take our church at Vision City Church, there are a whole lot of different personalities. A whole lot of people that are very different from one another. Different skill sets, different backgrounds, all with different perceived and unperceived weaknesses and struggles. Yet, each needs the same truth and the same encouragement from God's word. Each of us, without the power of the Holy Spirit, will fall victim to severe discouragement. Depression even, fear, sin. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if we lined all of us up next to each other and said, well, that guy looks like he's maybe got it and she doesn't or maybe she does or that person's strong, that person's weak. No, actually, the playing field is level for all of us. Because the same truths that Paul wrote to Titus to encourage him were also the same things that Paul wrote to Titus to encourage him. And it's also the same things that we read today to encourage us in our relationships with the Lord. Every one of us, for those of us that keep our cards close to our chest and for those of us that wear our emotions on our sleeves, each of us need the same power of the Holy Spirit, the same truth from God's word, the same commitment to godliness. Because each of us have been given a measure of faith. Each of you have been given a measure of grace. And that's what's so amazing about the word of God at work in the lives of his people, that the same truth from the same scriptures that I had you all open up, the same Bible, that same truth meets each of us in a unique way. As it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God, when you read it because it's living, it meets you exactly where you're at. Right now, in that uncomfortable junior high-sized chair, the Lord is meeting you exactly where you're at. I've sat in one for a while this morning, and now I have so much more respect for all of you that attend church here regularly. But one day, we will have comfortable chairs. Don't you worry. We will. Name it and claim it. But the Word of God meets us exactly where we're at, with exactly what we're going through. 
And it's always encouraging to get a message on social media or get an email sent that says, hey, what you were talking about or what we were studying as a church is exactly what I'm going through and it's exactly what I needed to hear. And only the Holy Spirit can do that through his living word. So the word of God not only meets us exactly where we're at, but it also, and this might be rather unpleasant at times, it separates in your life what is of the Lord and what is not of the Lord. It's that sword that pierces right through those things that are sinful areas of our life from those things that are the godly and righteous things in our lives. But additionally, the word of God also separates those that follow the Lord from those that do not follow him. For there will come a time where there are certain things that end up being displayed in our lives that will either be in alignment with the heart of the Lord or will be in alignment with our sinful nature. And it's only a matter of time before something comes out of our life that either gives glory and honor to the Lord or it exposes an area of weakness and sin that we need the Lord's help in. But for Titus, he was tasked with fixing problems. He was tasked with being the tip of the spear. He was tasked with being the guy that would have pot shots taken at. He would be the guy that would have to teach the word of God in an area where people did not want to hear it. Titus was to preach the word of God regardless of the opposition or even the personal headaches that would ensue because of the word of God. You might think, well, that sounds like kind of a negative thing. Headaches that come from the teaching of the word of God. Yes, absolutely. Because you cannot expect to be faithfully following the Lord or preaching the gospel and not have there be reprisals. You have to be ready for that. But for most Christians, we are not. And so at the first sign of opposition or a struggle or adversity, we back off. Someone tells us to be quiet, we say, okay. You know, we try to change things around in our homes and try to be a better spouse, and all of a sudden it gets a little bit difficult and like, oh, what's the point? Why should I even bother? You know, we try to make changes with our children and it just seems like it backfires and it becomes so much more difficult to do what I feel like I need to do, so why should I even do it? I just should just keep you know, maintaining status quo. See, when things get difficult, we're more inclined to just quit or to jump ship, to get out of there as quickly as possible. I feel like in my sinful nature, I'm inclined to do just that. If there's a problem, see you later. It gets difficult. Why am I doing this again? But for the follower of Jesus, we're not concerned with the results. The results we have to leave up to the Lord. What the Lord's called us to do is to be obedient with what he has entrusted us with. The whole theme behind our series through Titus has been be committed to what God has committed to you. God has committed these things to your care. Are you going to commit to be committed to those things? Or are you going to be like, I'm out of here like a person that's just there if the rewards are there? 
a person that will just do what they're called to do if God kicks down certain blessings, but if it's hard, see you later. Jesus said that he was the true shepherd. Those that are not the true shepherds, they leave at the sign of the wolf or the lion or the bear or somebody that's coming to attack the flock. They're like, I'm out of here. I'm not laying down my life for this. No way. But see, the follower of Jesus has faith. Faith. And that faith, it not only will help you today, it'll help you tomorrow as well. Because we have a future, we have a hope, not a past in hopelessness. See, the word of God is what changes our lives. That's why we honor the word of God by reading it and studying it. It was the word of God that was committed to Paul and Paul committed it to Titus. Now, it's no secret to anybody, world is not doing well. We know that it's gonna continue to get worse and worse and worse. Evil is going to run rampant. What is right will be considered wrong. What is wrong will be considered right. We see it right in front of our faces. And it can be discouraging. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and you're like, no, there are not a lot of people, you know, there are not a lot of people that agree with what I have to say where I work, or at my school, or in my neighborhood, or at that store, or at that gym, or on that field. Like, I'm the minority. So what's, what, what good is it to even share anything with anyone? You know, they just get upset or they tell me to be quiet or, or, or they make fun of me or I'm persecuted or whatever it might be. And in America, nobody's getting put to death yet, but around the world they are. I haven't been to India in a long time, but the last time I was there, there are Christians dying for their faith all over the place. And we see Christians persecuted around the world. But as discouraging as it can be, I'd like you to listen to what I'm about to say. There is not one problem that you will face or that is affecting society that cannot be completely and utterly fixed by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. Not one. Anything that you see that's affecting our country negatively, or let's look at your home affecting your home or your personal life. There is not one problem that cannot be fixed by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the living word of God. And it's for this reason that Paul told Titus in this difficult area to preach the word of God. So stay, stay committed to truth. Stay committed to godliness. Stay committed to hoping in the Lord. Because of this reason that God's word is living and that the power of the Holy Spirit can change anything or anyone, it's for this reason that Satan is doing anything within his power to silence Bible-believing Christians like you and me from sharing their faith to try to stop Christians from applying the Bible to their personal and even relational lives, and to try to stop the ripple effect of the living word of God through society. So don't be discouraged. 
You feel like quitting? It's probably because God's called you to do something great and Satan doesn't even want you to get started with it. Or he wants you to get discouraged once you embark on that path of obedience from continuing on it because it gets difficult. Don't forget that your faith, your truth, your godliness, your hope comes from the Lord. But for those that reject the Bible, you will find that the Bible now cuts like a sword between those of godly and those of ungodly character. And those differences are clearly seen. Beginning in verse four, point number one is this, committed character. Committed character. Paul writes to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this reason, verse five, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Let's stop there for a moment and let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt, not literally, because that wouldn't be good, but have you ever felt like you were in the middle of a tornado of confusion and disorganization? Like, I don't know what to even do first. I don't even know which problem of this massive problem I should tackle first. I don't even know where to begin. And there's something so disconcerting about being in a chaotic environment or where there's just no organization or there's confusion everywhere. It, it just grates on you. It's a terrible place to be. I mean, for those of you that have small children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It can be mess and writing, crayons and permanent marker on my walls and all kinds of stuff. It could be like that at your job. But isn't there a lot of stress and uneasiness when things are unorganized? Confusion is not a good thing. Ungodly character in the life of a Christian or in the church is also not a good thing. So Titus was tasked with the responsibility of organizing the church on the island of Crete. Paul's exact words were set in order. Get it organized. But it goes a little deeper than that in the Greek language because the set in order is actually a term used in the medical profession. If you were a physician, setting in order would be used to describe fixing a broken limb. Now, I've had my share of broken limbs and noses, and they are not fun. I'm very thankful to have had my ankle the three times that I have broken it set properly. And my nose after the more than seven times that I've had my nose broken. If you ever wondered uh, why I have a crooked nose, well, now you know. And it's not fun not being able to breathe out of one side of your nose. And I thank my little brother Torn for breaking my nose for the very first time as we played one-on-one -on -one basketball in high school. And from there, it was a downward slope. Finally, after I had my nose surgery and became a nose model again, I was able <laughs> to live somewhat of a normal life. But to set in order something that's broken 
Your shoulder pops out, dislocated shoulder. Crack set back in, and that hurts. An ankle that is disjointed, set it, put it back in order. One of the ways that Titus would be able to set in order the things that were needed in the church would be by teaching the word of God. See, all of us come to church with our own struggles, our own areas of weakness, our own worldviews that were hopefully based in biblical truths, but we're wrestling through things. We have hidden areas of sin. We have problems maybe in our marriage or difficulties at our job or just things that in life we just realize that that's just a hard thing I have to deal with. And if you come to church where the word of God is not being taught, you will find that you will not have any answers or solutions to the problems that you face. Nowadays, it is popular to not teach from the Bible. I will grant you that. Some of the largest churches that we see in America do not teach the Bible. But people leave there no better off than they were when they got there. And sometimes and often is the case that they're worse off. And you miss out on every single truth from God's word that pertains to your life. Titus was supposed to teach the Bible because that's where counseling takes place. You come to church and you read the word of God and the Holy Spirit moves through it and it touches your heart and you're like, wait a second, I think what I was doing was wrong. Or I need to change. Or I need to do something different. Or I need to add this to my, my list of spiritual disciplines or whatever it may be because the word of God instructs you that you might know how to live righteously, how to be a godly man or a woman, how to have victory over sin, how to know what you're supposed to do. And when we don't open the word of God, we miss out on so much. But then practically after that foundation of teaching the word of God, Titus was to, to establish leaders in the church. From my own experience, here from planting this church eight and a half years ago, and then for the almost 10 years at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa before that, I have discovered that there is typically no shortage of opportunities for things to get out of hand when people decide to not do things according to God's word or change something that affects their obedience to the Lord. And if or when that happens, bad things happen. The moment that somebody in the church decides I'm no longer going to do what God's called me to do in his word, bad things happen. The moment somebody compromises or maybe removes and has partial obedience to something that the word of God is telling them that they need to be doing, bad things happen. But alternatively, if you do the things that we're instructed to do in God's word, great things come from it. Because in the church, church leadership is necessary. Now, we started this church with 19 people in a prayer meeting in one of our elders' houses. When a church is planted, and I know this from personal experience, there is not a built-in leadership team. Leadership has to be cultivated, discipled, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputations, full of the Holy Spirit 
and full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. This passage in Acts 6, in context, is dealing specifically with men being appointed to handle practical needs in the church. And the prerequisites for those positions were they had to be men of good reputations. They had to be filled with the Holy Spirit and they had to exercise wisdom. They wouldn't be even teaching. They would be setting up chairs and taking care of practical needs and they had to have those requirements met. But have you ever thought, like, how do you get a good reputation? Well, it doesn't happen in one day. How do you find men of a good reputation? A reputation means you have strong years of making good decisions to honor the Lord together. You have a track record of being a man that is filled with the Holy Spirit, somebody that makes wise decisions. Somebody that knows the truths of God's word. And that's how you have a good reputation. But what some in the church don't realize is that if it takes time, if it takes time to establish a good reputation, then it's going to take time to raise up godly men to lead in the church. Back at the beginning of our church, we had a young man that was involved and he was serving in the church, but he became very critical that our new church had not yet advertised to his liking our eldership team. And it was one of those things where it, this criticism came, became very public and it started sharing the views of, hey, where's the leadership team in the church? And in his zeal, he didn't take a moment to look at how church leadership teams are established. They take time. And it's a lot harder getting somebody off of the team than it is getting them on the team. And so you better make sure that you're making decisions that are inspired by God, not motivated out of desperation. Each of us need to learn very quickly the difference between inspiration and desperation. For it will be either a decision that is inspired by the Lord or a decision that was made out of desperation. Anytime there is pressure to make something happen, like I gotta create this, I gotta make it happen, that's not how the Holy Spirit leads. And you will find that that type of decision will always be regretted and will come with a host of problems. So is this inspired by God or am I acting out of desperation? And you can apply that to any area of your life. If you're single and you want to get married, is this inspired by God or are you just desperate? I don't think you want to be labeled as desperate. You want to be labeled as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Lord, show me. See, Timothy and Titus were both instructed by the Apostle Paul to establish leaders in the church. We read, and I'll read it for you in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And it says, And the things that you have heard from me, Paul writes to Timothy, among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The same applies today in that we believe that the, the office of the apostle 
is closed. We don't see any more of the apostles. I'm not an apostle, nor will I ever become one. Yet we do see in the scriptures that there were those appointed to appoint leadership. Meaning that there were leaders over leaders. That would be part of my role at Vision City Church if I were to fulfill my position and my duties, that I would be doing everything within my power to strengthen this church through the teaching of God's word first and foremost, and by establishing a great team of pastors, leaders, and volunteers that serve the body of Christ here in our community. So let's look at church leadership requirements. When it comes to church leadership, there are no double standards. This is important to note because the qualifications for leaders in the big city of Ephesus, where Timothy was, were actually the same qualifications for the little small town church on the island of Crete where Titus was. So you might think, well, the big churches in LA, they have different standards and then the little churches in Irvine might be different. No, actually there, there's clear instructions straight across the board. So even for us, the same standards of righteousness that would apply for pastoral positions also apply to all who serve here at the church. And let's look at the requirements for leadership in verses six through nine. Paul says, set things in order. If you don't have people that are able to lead and serve, you need to fix that. So let's find people that have good reputations that are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And may they meet these requirements. In verse 6, it says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. And don't worry, we'll highlight a few things here after we read verses 7 through 9. For a bishop or a leader must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. In verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort or to encourage and to convict those who contradict, those who come against the word of God. Now granted, upon reading that, you think that is quite the lineup. That is quite the list of qualifications. If you think that that is unattainable, good. You should look at this list and think that is unattainable. And it is unattainable in your own strength. You cannot be the person that is listed here in your own effort. See, these requirements are only met through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the man called to be in church leadership. Yet, this call to public service first begins in the private areas of your home. Somebody seeking to be an elder or being considered or would like to be considered for the position of a leader in the church must first be qualified before being accepted. And that's a good thing, that somebody would be considered for a position in the leader, as a leader in the church. That is a good thing. I think you should aim for that, to be known as somebody that has a good reputation, that is filled with the Holy Spirit, and that it makes wise decisions. 
But you have to have an active walk with the Lord. Meaning you must be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, living as an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For you cannot lead others to Christ if you're not walking in obedience to him yourself. So somebody that is to be in a place of spiritual leadership must be spiritually mature. You also must feel the personal conviction of the Holy Spirit as he leads you to pursue or fill such a position. So not only must an elder be spiritually mature, a good example to others, but he also must show a commitment to the church fellowship beyond that of the, let's just say, quote unquote, everyday church goer. So the qualifications that we're going to break down here are not optional, but rather prerequisites for the position. Might I add, the qualifications for eldership is far higher and more comprehensive than that in the secular world, for these qualifications were given by the word of God. So, men, in order to be approved for a place of an elder in the church, you must prove yourself to be worthy of that position by presiding over and leading your own family. You're the pastor of your own church, your home, your wife, your kids. If I cannot lead my own family, how can I lead a church? The answer is you cannot. This description of being the husband of one wife is speaking of being morally pure. Now, I don't think there are any of you out here that have additional wives, so I think you're probably okay. The husband of one wife, high moral conduct, having children that live under your roof that are committed to the Lord that come under your leadership. If they move out, they make their own decisions, and maybe they choose to not follow the Lord, that's not on you. They're grown up enough to live out on their own. That's between them and the Lord. But if you have kids, you got to be able to be a good parent to your children. So if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, but rather blameless as a steward of God, Not self-willed, verse 7, not quick-tempered, not given to wine. We have just this great list. So blameless, morally pure, committed to raising children unto the Lord, not accused of being wasteful or having an inability to follow instructions. You're a steward of God. It means you don't own it. In the church, sometimes people love the position more than they love the people. And that's never a good thing. You want to be a person that loves the people of God, that's not afraid to do the things that other people don't want to do. And when you're faithful in the little things, the Lord tends to make you more responsible over bigger things. One of the characteristics is not self-willed. It means you're not advancing your own agenda. And this is huge. Over the last you know, course of, since our church has started, we haven't really had a huge problem with that, but there one in particular stands out to me where somebody came in wanting to use the church for their own gain. And that's not the type of person that you want to have in leadership, somebody that has ulterior motives. Also, not quick-tempered. You need to have the power of the Holy Spirit to not lose your temper. And some of us may struggle with that more than others, but it doesn't mean that Not being quick-tempered is unattainable. 
You know, it's been said, having a temper is actually an amazing thing. And it'll be a real, real sad day if you lose it. So don't lose it. Not given to wine. Drinking's out. Your party days are over, hopefully, when you decided to follow Jesus. But especially, you're not going to see Pastor Garrett out drinking on the weekends. Not happening. Not violent. It's not going to happen where you make a mistake and I take you out in the back and start thrashing you. That's not the characteristic that you want to have as a leader in the church. What happened to you? I had a meeting with Pastor Garrett. Didn't go well. (laughs) Not greedy for money. You're not after trying to make money off the people of God. You call in right now, I'll send you this handkerchief, and this handkerchief is anointed by God. You don't have money, go out and borrow it. You don't have money to borrow, get a credit card. Send it. That's not happening here. It says also you to be hospitable. For some of us, people just bother you. People just bug you. Maybe you're going to have to push through that and say, Lord, please help people not to bother me. Help me to be hospitable, Lord. It also says that the person in this position is a lover of what is good. There's a whole lot of bad out there. And there's a whole lot of compromise, too, even within the church. But somebody that is committed to what God has committed to them is a lover of what is good. It also says that they're sober-minded. They're just. They're holy. They're self-controlled. They hold fast to the faithful word, which means they hold fast to the word of God regardless of the pressures externally from society or from culture to bend. That's not an easy place to be. As a follower of Jesus today, you're not in an easy place to be. Everything in this world is screaming at you to compromise, to not hold fast. But it says that you are to exhort and convict those who contradict. Because in verse 10, it says, there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision or Judaism that were taking religion and try to mingle it with a relationship with God and saying faith in Jesus alone is not enough. You have to do all of these other things to be righteous before God. And he says those, verse 11, their mouths need to be stopped. They come into the church. They contradict what the word of God says. And they have a negative impact on the believers. It says they subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So when the word of God is being taught accurately, purely, it will cut through that which is of God and that which is not of God in your life. It will also cut through those that are following the Lord, separate those who follow the Lord from those who are not following the Lord. That's why the word of God must be taught. When you go to church, it should be the word of God that you're hearing. That's what we need. So Paul instructs Titus, preach the word of God. Secondly, appoint elders. And thirdly, shut down false teachers. Now, I have to admit the first two sound a little more like, you know, a little more nice. Hey, teach the word of God. Check, I'll do it. Appoint leaders. Okay, I'll be keeping my eyes open. We'll train, we'll disciple, we'll get these guys ready to rock and roll. Okay, thirdly though, it says shut down 
false teachers. That involves confrontation, possibly some discomfort. However, if you've been looking at this list perceptively, you'll discover that teaching the word of God and appointing leaders will by its very nature cause you to have to separate the truth from the lie and the good from the bad. And there's no escaping it. There's no middle ground. If you do the first two things, Titus, teach the word of God, appoint godly men who have good reputations that are filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit, there will be naturally a separation that occurs. You know, in the sports you know, field, I guess you could say, they used to always have this saying where the cream rises to the top. Sooner or later, the best will make its way out. And the same thing applies to us as followers of Jesus. If you're seeking the, word of God, seeking the Lord and, and you're spending time in the word of God, you'll find the good things are coming out of your life. You'll find that there's a separation between the lusts of the flesh and the spirit that desires godliness. So anytime there's a work of the Lord that is taking place, both individually in your own life or collectively through many lives, such as the church, it'll catch the enemy's attention. It will. It didn't take long for false teachers to arise on this tiny little island of Crete in this small little church. But understand this, that any time the truth is being taught, there will be a counterattack with Satan's lies. Timothy faced the same thing as Titus, and so do we today. False teachers, in case you were wondering, were never spoken of highly in the scriptures. Look at James 3, verse 1. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. So if you're a teacher, you best make sure that what you're teaching as the word of God is truly the word of God. Because in verse 10, we see some pretty dangerous characteristics of the false teacher. Number one being this, insubordinate. This means... They refuse to submit to the authority of God. And not only that, they're in a Bible teaching church where they refuse to submit to the authority vested in the leadership of the church. And honestly, if someone refuses to come under the leadership of God's word, it's safe to say that they will not come under the leadership that's in the church especially if you're teaching the word of God because all you're doing is compounding what they already know to be truth as they reject it. So you hear a lot of times this phrase, biblical worldview. A key for us as Christians as we move forward means that if I'm to have a biblical worldview, it means that I come under the authority of God's word. God's word's up here, I'm down here. Next, we see that these that will not submit to the authority of God's word are idle talkers and they're deceivers. This means, interestingly enough, that these false teachers and the language that is used here, I found this fascinating. 
Because the Word of God is so living, so powerful, so practical, that even in our day and age, you can spot the same exact things, the same spirit that works through people that are labeled idle talkers or deceivers that are in church today. The language that Paul uses is describing a particular style of communicating. Isn't that fascinating? Idle talkers and deceivers, it's a description of a style of communication. I wonder if you're going to be able to spot teachers like this moving forward from today. Being an idle talker meant, get this, they were impressive communicators, but they lacked any real biblical substance. That is the nature of the language that Paul uses. They may dress to impress. They were phenomenal in communicating. They were a laugh a second. Analogies here and there. Anecdotes here and there. But when it was all said and done, you were left asking yourself, oh, what did they even talk about? What, do you remember actually like what they said? Like I remember the joke about the guy that fell off the waterfall, but I, what, what actually happened? See, The great danger of substituting impressive communication for biblical content is that often there can be some amazingly communicated non-truths in the church. Now, I'm not endorsing boring, monotone, no examples, no analogies, no bridging the gap, no parables, no truths in how they communicate or how to communicate those practically today. Don't get me wrong. But these false teachers that Paul references in the church were actually deceiving the people that were listening to them. They were deceived themselves and they deceived others. This is a contrast that you're reading of here. Titus, as he taught faithfully the word of God and entrusted that same truth to faithful men that could lead the church, he would actually now be found offensive and dangerous to false teachers. Hmm. What a compliment to be labeled dangerous to that which is evil and untrue. That guy's dangerous. That woman, dangerous. To what? to the lies of Satan. That person knows the truth and they are a danger to this deception I'm trying to pull over on these people. False teaching was described perfectly by Jesus in Matthew 15, verses 12 through 14. He said, then his disciples came and said to Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? When Jesus told the truth, those that were not in the truth were offended. And such was the case with the religious leaders. And his disciples came to Jesus and they said, hey, master, they were mad. They were offended at what you said. And Jesus replied, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both fall into a ditch. And it really is a tragedy that across our nation, 
Instead of people coming to church where they might be illuminated to the truths of God's word and find hope and encouragement and strength, freedom, victory, purpose. They're blindly following blind teachers that have strayed from the word of God. And they're some of the coolest, best looking most articulate around. Paul told Titus thousands of years ago at the beginning of the church, watch out for those guys. You want the meat of God's word, the substance. It's not, there's nothing wrong about you know, being moved emotionally. Some of you feel like, oh man, I'm fired up or, or I'm moved to tears or you know, that's hitting me right here or whatever it might be. But emotional experiences don't last forever. The word of God endures forever. And you might feel something emotionally today, but it's probably going to end after lunch about 2.35 p.m. And this week, when you face your struggle and you try to draw on that emotional experience that you had at church, you will not be able to find it and you're left with nothing. But... If the word of God is implanted into your life at your church, then when your trials come, you can draw on that truth and it will direct your path. And you know, we've seen this as of late. Unfortunately, I think we're going to continue to see this or there are people in places of great influence falling from their position or really revealing that they're completely ignorant to what the word of God says. Now, I don't take my Sunday mornings to just point out left, right, and center everything that's happening, but we've seen some pretty popular things happen lately. Popular churches were just probably a couple weeks ago, a wife of a very popular pastor in the Pacific Northwest came out in support of abortion in so many words, sharing just a complete and utter ignorance of what the Bible says. And it makes you wonder how the wife of a megachurch pastor could absolutely know nothing about the Bible. When teaching the word of God, when teaching the word of God, for me, is not a priority I will fall sooner or later. If the word of God is not a priority in your life, you will fall sooner or later. Because hidden character will always go public. Always. Everything that is done in secret will be made known publicly. It doesn't matter the size of your influence. It's talking about your character. And so Titus, this young man, was to be committed to that which God had committed to him. And that commitment, which is the same for you and me today, that commitment that we have to what God has committed to us will lead us to the place of committing faithful, faithfully to our kids, to our spouse, to our jobs, to our community. It led Titus to a place of committing to faithful men in the church the opportunity and great privilege to lead. 
And the person that is committed to what God has committed to them will keep themselves from falling into the place of being labeled a false teacher, a carnal Christian, or just somebody that leads people away from the Lord. And so today, I'll leave you with this last sentence, this exhortation. Be committed to what God has committed to you. It may not be glorious. It's probably difficult. But it is packed with such blessings from the Lord. If you are faithful to what God has called you to do or to steward, you will find great blessings from the Lord. Now's not the time to compromise. Stay committed. Because a person of faith in Jesus is a committed person. A true follower of Jesus is committed to truth, to godliness, and to hoping in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, God, that you would please continue to lead and guide your church by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, Lord, regarding all things pertaining to life and godliness. Lord, if we have unconfessed sin in our life, if we've even been maybe prodded by the Holy Spirit to confess sin, shown an area that we might be struggling with and that we need help in, I pray that this would be a great time of confession so that forgiveness might be found and strength to overcome. Lord, may we be the men and women that you have called and created us to be. May we be encouraged today, Lord, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And Lord, may we not be focused on the things of this world. It's so easily to be discouraged when you look at what's happening in the world, but may we not take our eyes off of you. May we look to you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And may we be mighty, may we be bold and courageous until the day it's time, Lord, to stand before you. And we ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Give us your grace. We need your grace, Lord. There go I, but by the grace of God. Any of us at any time are capable in our sinful nature of blowing it. But Lord, we look to you and ask for your help in our time of need. And may we walk humbly before you, Lord, recognizing that all things come from you. And with you, Lord, all things are possible. And we ask for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.